This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by AdamandEve.com. Adam and Eve, for her, for him, for couples. Go to AdamandEve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off of any item. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll receive three free adult DVDs plus a free mystery gift. And to top it all off, they'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. Now, in order to get this discount, for all of you nerds out there, go to adamandeve.com and use the code NERDS at the checkout. That's NERDS, N-E-R-D-S, at adamandeve.com. If you use that code, you can get 50% off of just about any item. Adam and Eve, the leader in adult toys and products. I'm Yasmin, the host of the podcast, Witty, Women in Tech Talk Diaz, where I talk to female coders and execs about how they're shaking up the tech industry. Subscribe on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Hello, this is Shadi Anozier with the SNC Podcast. Join me bi-weekly as I talk with some of Nigeria's unique music producers and songwriters about their creative process and more. Follow us at the SNC Podcast on SoundCloud. Cheers. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. I am Alelia Bundle, Madam C.J. Walker's great-great-granddaughter and biographer, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey guys, this is Alexander Stiff. I play Storm in X-Men Apocalypse out May 27th, and you are listening to Black Girl Nerds. Hey, what's up? This is Morris Chestnut, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Tommy Davidson. You're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. That's right. It exists. Hey, what's going on? It's Soraya from Empire, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Peace, y'all. What's up? This is Akil, the MC from the Jurassic Five, and you are now tuned in to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yeah, I like nerdy girls. This is Mark Bernard, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey all, I'm Yutide Badaki. I play Bill Quiff on American Gods, and you are all now listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Jean Grey. I'm a polymath. If you don't know what that is, look it up. This is Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yep. Shake your 
Beauties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to episode 118 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is the Vulture Fest episode. That's right. On May 20th through the 21st, the Vulture Festival, which takes place in New York City, happened. And it's a pop culture extravaganza that's sponsored by both Vulture and New York Magazine. Our correspondent KB had a fantastic time attending several different panels and doing some one-on-one interviews. And in this episode, we're going to cover some of those panels and one-on-one interviews that she did over at Vulture Fest. The segments featured in this episode are from Jane the Virgin, American Gods, and Riverdale. She does interviews with actors Luke Perry, showrunner Brian Fuller, and creator and writer of Jane the Virgin, Jenny Ehrman. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And then the final segment is a Jane the Virgin panel for all of you fans out there of the show. And in that panel, you'll get to hear from stars Gina Rodriguez, Brett Deer, Yael Grabalas, Andrea Nevero, Jaime Camille, and Jenny Ehrman. So hope all of you TV fans and geeks out there will enjoy this amazing episode of the Vulture Festival. And all of these segments and recordings and interviews feature our host, KB. So sit back, relax, and enjoy BGN 118, the Vulture Fest episode. American Gods TV showrunner Brian Fuller. Hi, everyone. So it's KB here, and I am grab him at Vulture Fest just for a couple of questions. Um, so now that American Gods has dropped, <laughs> let me tell you, I can say that it is far beyond what I expected. What did you expect? Well, I, I know what I was about to say. I'm not entirely sure that I even remember what I expected once I saw the episodes. So tell me what the creative process was like creating this, this masterpiece. Well, really, it was just about being fidelitous to Neil's book, and both Michael and I had read it, uh, like, in paperback, so it was probably 2002 when we read it, and uh, I remember reading it on the set of the pilot of Dead Like Me, and thinking that this is amazing, and I can't wait to see what people do with it with the adaptation, and then it defied adaptation for quite a while. And fortunately for us, time just synchronized for us to be able to be part of it at, at a time when the nation went awry and made stories that were about the foundation of this country into villainous tales of, you know, Parasites who would corrupt us as opposed to celebrating how everyone got here and the family histories that are shared with folks who know when grandpa came over and grandma came over. And now immigration is such a a hot issue for all the wrong reasons. 
um, especially because we're all nerds. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I can't even get into yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the spirit political climate. But um, you're right, you're right. And there's so many themes surrounding kind of new gods and old gods yeah, yeah. and the immigrants that are coming over and how we view certain things and even uh, being super relevant excuse me, relative to what we're going through now, but how um, our cell phones and the media and things like that have kind of become gods for this current generation. Um, so when you read the book, I'm curious, like, creatively speaking, did you immediately see yourself going in the direction that you did? Because honestly, it's probably one of the most visually stunning things I've ever seen on television, honestly. And I remember just being captured by your use of colors, by the way you shot, like by the way it's shot, the colors, um, even the cast, the cast is phenomenal. And each of them step into the role very well, all of their roles rather very well. So I'm curious as to when you read the book, did you have kind of um, your heart set on a couple of things that you wanted to portray visually and what were those things specifically? Well, I think, you know, the, the book is so visually aggressive in, in terms of the ideas that it's presenting and such outlandish scenes that we knew because of where we are technology wise that we were we had the skills to be able to pull it off whereas when it came off I don't think that would have been possible in the television landscape the way it is now. Definitely not in 2002. No. no. <laughs> and I think one of the things that you know when it first when we first started talking about it we of course talked about Quiz and how to pull that off and you talked about Salim and the Jinn and how to pull that off and it wasn't so much of like oh my gosh how are we going to do this as much as it was we've got to do this precisely and elegantly and in a sophisticated way that makes anybody's issues that they're bringing to the table inconsequential because they're looking at a thing of beauty. Right. So um, they're telling me that you have to go, but um, just what is your, I have to know because you're talking about the beauty of how visually stunning it really is and bringing these characters to life. I'm curious, for the first season, what is your favorite episode so far and, and why? And have we seen it yet? Because, you know, we're going into episode four, so. You haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, okay. I'm torn because episode four is, I think, one of the clearest, strongest narratives of the season because it's a single person's point of view and it is all about Laura Moon. Okay. And that was the thing that was very exciting for us to, to explore because she's a relatively minor character in the book and we wanted her to be a major player and like we did with a lot of the female characters we needed them to be much bigger. Right, and, and they really are in the, in the story. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Which is one of the things that I love so much because it speaks so much it to be so much volumes to like having a female empowerment and what they mean to the overall themes of the story. And so uh, I'm really glad that you guys chose to expand on them the way that you did. And have you, have, you, have you seen the first four? I have. Okay, I so have. we should get you the other four because okay. I'm curious what you think of the finale because it's all about female empowerment. And the coming to America is Bill Chris's coming to America and it's 20 minutes of the episode is just telling her story. So I'm curious what you think about Okay, perfect. Jane the Virgin TV showrunner, Jenny Ehrman. So, yeah, I am a black nerd. Yes. I am really obsessed with Jane the Virgin. I have it since the beginning. So I love your writing about it. Oh, yes. Tell me a little bit about, like, where this passion to kind of see fearless and diverse people on screen came 
Well, you know, when I started to adapt this, um, you know, because it was originally a telenovela, I thought the family has to be huge fans of telenovelas, then that's, they're going to be Latina because of that, um, you know, because of their passion for it. I've always just loved writing about women. I love writing women. I like um, writing about complicated women and relationships about women. So in, in developing Jane, I wanted it to be a love letter to the telenovela. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't, I don't, I think because I'm a white woman growing up, I didn't realize the power of representation until I started to do Jane. And then the tweets and the emails and about how much it means to see yourself on screen and see yourself represented in a positive way, it like, it moved me and opened my eyes and it made me even more, I think, committed and, um, you know, inspired by the response, honestly. And, um, you know, I'm inspired by the actors that I have and I'm inspired by what they say all the time. And I just try to listen and um, make sure that the show is a force of optimism in this in this crazy world. And you know, you do have such a dynamic cast. So oh. I have to ask, like, what was the process like getting everyone to come up finding these people who seemingly are the very perfect fit for I know. You know, Gina was the third, um, the third person that um, came to audition, you know, um, and I came home and I told my husband, like, we found her. I, I, I was more sure about finding her than I was about finding my husband. I was like, she's the one, she's the one, she's the one. And, uh, you know, so each, um, each person came in and it was like they clicked in a way. They, uh, uh, we saw Andrea after we had Gina and... Um, she, each one of them was honestly the only choice for them and when you go through the process of casting you have to bring in like two or three people to the network and studio so that they can kind of pick and we had everyone but we'd have to be like okay and we'll bring in you know other people too but we just knew who this cast was Jaime um, I offered it to him because I'd seen his work um, I saw him both in telenovelas and in movies and um, so I had a Skype conversation with him uh, Yael was in an episode of mine and of another TV show and we could not find this character and then um, suddenly I was like Yael 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 um, and she came in and it, it was just yeah yeah and I had a great um, director Brad Silberling who just has such a great eye uh, for people and talent and so it was a very confident casting, and uh, yeah. But Gina, I don't, like, we knew we had to find Jane. If we don't find Jane, what show do we have? Right. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I know you have to run, but I really appreciate you. Thank you. To talk to me. Thank you. Pleasure. Actor Luke Perry. So Luke, I am KB with Black Girl Nerds, and uh, we are completely. Every single facet of it. Kind of be the set. Yeah, so Fred seems to be kind of the only normal parent on the show. I mean, I think that we thought Hermione was kind of normal, and, uh, you know, clearly in the season finale, she tried to paint her off a little bit. Um, and so we're kind of like, yeah, what is going on? But Luke seems to be kind of the steady hand, so I have to ask, I'll be back later, I wouldn't be a true fan if I didn't. Do you know um, if Fred is still alive? Yes. Do you know? I do not, but if you notice, I'm I'm wearing a lot of black. Right. <laughs> oh gosh. It's a black not not, not just because morning. it's beautiful, but <laughs> be, I'm just saying everybody okay. can figure that out. Okay. 
Okay, so it's not that hurts my heart clearly because you know, not only I know, not only do I love you I, I, I like as an being actor, normal, I like being the normal character because you can go anywhere from there, yes. right? Anything yes. can happen. Whereas everybody is already kind of committed to, oh, that's the crazy one, and that's the Fred. But Fred is also the most rounded, and so I mean, that breaks my heart because you know, I mean, I think that what Riverdale needs are responsible parents. I mean, clearly going crazy, the children, uh, even some of the parents, and so I think they need a bit of normalcy, and right now, I mean, if, if, if Fred is not going to survive, there are no more kind of grounded parental units for the kids to kind of go to for sound advice. Great observation. <laughs> but people can always change. FP can be a good guy, right? That's will be. That's true. I, I mean, I hope so. I hope we see FB out of jail. You yeah. know, I hope that we see him kind of stepping up to the plate in Jughead's life and, and changing these, but I don't know, because Jughead is going down kind of a serpenty path. But they got really cool jackets. They do. They do, right? And Jughead really is looking for more love in kind of a different scenario, so yeah. I, I'm really hoping that, you know, that he doesn't go to together. jail and find yeah. that love there. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> yes, I know what you're saying. Well said. <laughs> yes, exactly. So thank you. I know that you have to go. Lots My of people pleasure. to talk to. Thank you so much. In our final segment, let's take a listen to the Jane the Virgin panel. So unfortunately, oh. Justin Baldoni had to pull out last minute, but we'll be sure to talk about. Is that the gym? <laughs> talking about just what makes Jane the Virgin so unique. And that's its interesting mix of genres all in one show. And when I first started watching it, I was kind of reminded of Arrested Development a little, just because of the narrator and the meta sense of humor. But I'm curious, Jenny, what other you know, books, films, TV shows were influential to you in, in setting the tone for this show? You know, um, a, a mix of things, I, I would say the magical realism of Gabriel Garcia Marquez and um, Isabella Allende. I wanted to kind of capture a little bit of that. Amelie was um, an inspiration in, in her love of magic and the magical realism and Gilmore Girls and that like really tight mother-daughter um, dynamic. Um, and then uh, uh, Ugly Betty, I thought, also was a wonderful adaptation of a telenovela. So I think all of those were kind of in the soup um, that went into the show. That's like, that's actually exactly what I get from it. I'm going to say what makes this show so unique actually is this woman because she decided to write for a girl. She didn't put a specificity on ethnicity or culture or religion. Those are like the undertones. Those are like the additions to this girl and this family's life. But it's so crazy because if it was a Caucasian family, I don't think we would have thought it was that innovative, you know? But what Jenny did was she brought to light a community and a perspective that we haven't seen quite yet in such a, like, a, a, in, a in a beautiful setting and in a beautiful environment. Yeah. And she changed it, she revolutionized it because right now we need to see inclusivity on the screen because that's what America looks like. And like, yeah.
actually Jenny. Jenny is the key. She is it. Her, and and her I'm going to bring. I'm just going to venture. I'm going to venture to say that also maybe you know Rohelio. what makes what makes Jane <laughs> what makes Jane amazing and what it is is Jane. <laughs> Have this mix of styles comedy, drama, melodrama, meta humor in one minute. It's very unusual to see actors doing all of these different things on one show. And I'm just wondering, you know, when you signed on to the show, did that feel daunting? What were the challenges to you? Had you considered yourself one type of actor versus another? And just how you kind of, you know, how you manage that challenge? Because you're all so good at playing all these different types of. Uh, me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, we're good. Next question. Next question. <laughs> um, I'm a New York actor, so I do <laughs> And oh, actually, I used to come to castings all the time in those studios. <laughs> um, yeah, but... you have no studios. Suck it! you. <laughs> no, so there are a lot of the, the majority of TV shows in New York are dramas, and um, so I've done a lot of a lot of dramatic TV. And so when Jane the Virgin came along, it was so so refreshing for me to get to do comedy because I used to do sketch comedy uh, at Caroline's and in the Latino sketch group. So it was just like perfect for me to like get an opportunity to show that side of myself that people did not know that I actually had a funny book. So. <laughs> And then to be able to do both is amazing. Like, you know, it's a dream come true. Well, I was so sad when I lost Brett. Obviously, like, it was like the worst experience, literally up to date as an actor in my life, because this man is like brings so much joy. To me. <laughs> I have so much makeup. I'm sorry. <laughs> me too. Uh, but I know. Okay, so buddy, we got makeup over there. Yeah, we got makeup. Uh, <laughs> but he. Uh, yeah, I lost him for a four-year-old, which was like getting another version of Brent. But uh, <laughs> he is a little more mature. A little more mature. Yes. But he is so incredibly hysterical, and he is the one that had to be the most contained of all. And like, yeah, and, like hard. with all due respect, is by far the funniest. Like the funniest. I mean, and Dent's pretty funny, but but like, <laughs> the funniest person ever. And he had to be so contained. I wonder what that had to be like. But then towards the end, he got to be like loose, and he got to like. Yeah, right, like, yeah. like season three, you had yeah. like really funny stuff. It was hard to contain myself. <laughs> Jenny, you knew that. Yeah, well, you, it was. A, you would find the joy in all of the moments, and some of the moments were cop moments. Yeah, and I'd be like, I'm the police officer. <laughs> so it's hard. <laughs> I would just get it all out in between the pits. I'd be like, oh, a detective. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Private conversation with Jenny about that. Did you ever like say, "Have oh, we need to talk"? No, I, I got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a little bit, little moments. Just little moments. I would just say when he's a cop, he's so serious. Yeah, yeah, just he's a cop, right? <laughs> <laughs> pulling off their faces, but like act like that. Yeah, moment. yeah, yeah. And then, um, but then you know, the, the more you know, Brad, and you just want to write to that joy, and I mm -hmm. felt like. Uh, in his and Gina's relationship, and in his and Rahelio's relationship, yeah. we really got real. Uh, we got to share. Yeah, we got to experience Brett's comedy. And, and it will, it'll be good to clarify 
to the people here. That, uh, many of you think that the, you know, the love story, the important love story <laughs> on Jane, yes, it Sam. might be like Jane and Raphael, or maybe Xiomara and Rogelio, but no. Maybe. The real love story is between uh, Michael and Rogelio. <laughs> You know, they, um, the, you, once you get to know the actor, yeah. you, you just start to say, I want to see what happens with these two together. I want to see what happens with these two together. And, and then we saw it and we loved it. So and we just, yeah. It was really fun. Yeah, Jaime just, has chemistry with everybody. Yeah, and Romelio and Petra just had their first They had their first season. Season. <laughs> ever in the season. Yeah. Which, which was, was very really difficult before. because she has a very big accent. Yeah. So, <laughs> I never have any idea what she's saying. <laughs> Right? Yes. Well, yes. what time? Like, you like parrots? Like, yes. Yes. Uh, yes, I know. We have them together. We have like, you said one. You said nice shorts. I was like, hey. Oh, yeah. And now, Elle and I, we, in the beginning, obviously, had this like serious, you know, villain, you know, what is that? Um, no, that's not, thank you. No, no, no. Yeah. We had that. I was going to say Neptune, but that's <laughs> what I'm glad I don't speak very much. You should do it more often. I enjoy it. <laughs> We've had so much of that. And then, like, when we had, we both had the children from the same father. <laughs> uh, it was so awesome to start, you know, she put. Uh, Jenny put Yael and I together, and it was just so much it fun. It was magical. It was oh. so much fun. And we only really discovered We're the greatest love story. Oh, we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yesterday, and everybody was asking me what will be the happiest ending for Petra. I'm like, I think Jane and Petra need to run away together. Just <laughs> <laughs> open the commune. Yes. Our around naked. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But yeah, so we really discovered that like we love ping ponging up each other, and we only really started doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity, lots of opportunity in the show to grow and to test yourself and to test your comedy and your drama and like you know because we do go from like being extremely physical, like lots of physical comedy, and then crying, and then like, you know, somebody passes away, and then like all of a sudden they're resurrected. So there's like, <laughs> there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> there's lots of opportunity as an actor to like stretch your wings, to stretch yourself, to fail, to, to succeed, to learn something new about yourself. And I feel like we've all had the opportunity to do that because of the magical realism, because of all of our different storylines. None of us are like stagnant, yeah. ever, right. ever stagnant. And I think also we come from a very sincere place because when you do, no, really. Sure, yeah. I yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah. No, but really, um, you know, when we live in this, when, when you live in this ridiculous universe and this outrageous universe, if, if you don't uh, approach it with a sincerity and with honesty as an actor, the audience, they don't believe you. Yeah. And it's, you know, if, if you build characters as outrageous as, as they are from the tip of your nose out, there's nothing there. So even in this 
and, and of course, we have beautiful dramatic moments with the Villanueva women, and, and you know, very thick and dark uh, moments with the uh, murders and this and whatever. Rogelio lives in this outrageous universe, but we all come from from our guts out, not from the tip of our nose out. And I think that that makes a difference. That's why the people audience, the, the audience bites into our work. craziness. And I think that, that's why I can't imagine anybody else playing Ophelia, because I think that the way you do that specifically is just completely magical. Well, really, because... Are you loving yeah, you? Like <laughs> 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 because he's such a, like, out there character, and so funny, and so pompous. <laughs> but so sincere. Like it's so, it's so yeah, much okay. from the heart. Oh, people are like charming narcissists. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Yes, you are, yes. And, and you also have to do a lot of physical comedy on the show within a show. Yes. Where you're doing all this crazy, like, climbing walls. Talking about the conversation with Jenny, right? I'm like, Jenny, it's, it's, it, our conversation should be a show. It's really, it's like, Jenny, we're going to miss so much Tiago throughout time, you know, the portal. Oh, no, but I have a great idea. I have a great idea. So now you're tiny. <laughs> and, and you travel in women's bosoms. <laughs> Make this happen in real what? life? <laughs> no, we can't. No. <laughs> well, yeah. my wife is like a Hungarian milkmaid. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What's amazing to me is how you guys come up with these ideas. Like, I would never think of something like that. We have a great, great writer's room, great, uh, you know, a lot of fans of inner space. They got the honey, I truck the kids, you know. No, I mean, <laughs> seven years ago, like, perfect. Yeah, really big women's stats, yes, right? Mostly women. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we've got a lot of uh, female directors. Well, yeah. yeah, so that's. Going into this season, I'm curious, you know, Jenny, what were the main themes and kind of ideas you wanted to to express, and what did you find the most challenging? Uh, well, you know, this, this season was about what happens after, um, you know, most of it was about thematically, how do you let go of the fairy tale and uh, find the joy in life after loss? Um, and, you know, different people's dreams evolved in different ways. The biggest challenge, of course, was having this uh, you know, Michael's death, which was hard on a uh, creative level <laughs> and hard personally because we all love Brett so much. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, how, how, to, how to take that and, and still find the joy and the optimism and show that uh, Jane is going to be okay and how to help the audience navigate their, their sadness. You know, we were doing a three-year time jump, but it was the next week for the audience. So how to both sort of take it three years later, but always be, be holding their hand and saying, we're not forgetting about him, neither is Jane. He is the biggest part of our story engine going forward, and his memory is as, as big of a character in our back half as, as he was in the first half. And I think just navigating that space and, and figuring out how to stay comic and find the joy and uh, while still remaining faithful to, to how important this character was to so many of the characters was, was the challenge. So what, what was the last day on set like with Brett? Mm -hmm. I remember I was drunk. No, <laughs> it was filming, it was the green screen filming the, uh, uh, you guys on oh, the, 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 Ferris the Ferris wheel. Yeah, I mean, that was sad. Yeah, that it was, was it, I cried. Um, but, oh yeah. And, but um, that was in the studio, right? That was in the studio. Yeah. But then, I mean, then 
he comes back in the finale, spoiler. But um, so he, he, that was our last day of the season yeah. um, this year. When back, back in November. Yeah, yeah. When in March he came, but the last scene we shot was you guys on the Ferris. Yeah. yeah, no, I think the saddest moment was uh, probably, well, first of all, you were very kind to all of us because we love Red very much and we love each other very much. So we, we were, we, uh, Jenny called us individually to her office. Like, you know, this is the plan. This has been the plan since the beginning of the show, but you know, Brad brings so much to the table that we- Couldn't let go for like, a while. Exactly, so, uh, but you know, this is gonna happen. So you kind of like prepared us in a very beautiful advance, way yeah. in, in advance. But then we have the table read. Uh, oh, yeah. God. And yeah. it works like a, like a lake of tears. Oh, yeah. Well, not just and tears, then, but Haley made us alien masks. Yeah. There was all tears on her alien masks. And then, Brett is an alien. And then Jenny, the brilliant yeah. and beautiful woman that she is, she put together a, a, the, like the, the package of the best of Brett bread Dyer's oh, moment. Yeah. At the end of the table read, so of course the tears came even more. <laughs> And the worst was like prior to that, they called me and they were like, Do you have pictures of you and Brett or videos of you and Brett? Yeah. Oh, God. So this was me, like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my boyfriend's sitting next to me. I'm like, Shh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I look over and Joe is crying also. And I'm like, Sorry, baby. We're going to get through this together. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder what it was like for you. I was, I, I mean, I, I, went numb, I went numb for a bit there towards the end, just because I was like, oh God, because I'm gonna miss, I miss, I'm gonna miss you guys. Well, I already am, I'm missing you. But um, I, I was, I don't know, it was just a weird experience. And then just like, it was like the last day of school for me. It was just like, wow, like all, you know, all these people, all these memories. And then the video you made, it was just like, hit me real hard in the heart. <laughs> and. But yeah, the last filming the last thing it was like four thirty in the morning. Always. Yeah. And then, yeah. So we were like we were like kind of like crying throughout the delusional. Day. Yeah. And I think we were like delusioned out. So right when it was done, we we're just kind of like, all right, right, bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone was just like, good night. <laughs> it's anticlimactic it a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. But it was climactic earlier. Oh, no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See you tomorrow. Oh, no. Oh. See you tomorrow. Oh no, sorry. No. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the first uh, half of the third season, because we also knew that he was leaving, it was, uh, they got to play with like all his bunnies and they like wrote so much for Brett to like really obviously break everybody's heart because it worked so well and we got to do such like awesome yeah, shit. Yeah. It was yeah. so fun. And you had yeah. a terrible stand up. Oh yeah, the stand up. <laughs> Which is funny because he's so great at it. Yeah, and again, he had to play like he was that one. <laughs> and then when I when we shot his death, Brett sent me this beautiful oh, video to Jane. I posted it if you guys want to see it and cry. It's on my Instagram. But um, yeah, that was awesome. It was awesome yeah. stuff. Yeah, I love it. I, I love you too. Yeah, it, was, it was awesome. I read that you had actually planned to to pull Michael off earlier in the story, but he so inhabited the character that yeah. you kept writing for him. Was it you in the writer's room? We just couldn't get there. Yeah. Like, oh, but, but we haven't done this with him. Oh, but we haven't done this with him. And oh, no, but maybe, and then we would say, you know what, that's a bad idea. We're not going to kill him. Here's what we're going to do. And we would go through a lot of different stories, and then we would kind of come back to, you know, you, you have to kind of put your, how much you love someone aside and, and like follow the path of the story. And that's what we were trying to do. But we did delay it as what, far as we could. Was there ever a point where he was going to die before him and Jane had sex? There was. That would have been sex. There was a point. That would have been sex. Right. 
there was a point. Well, I know. Really. <laughs> There were just earlier incarnations. Like episode two, season one. Yes. There were there were different incarnations because you're also you know thinking when are we going to let go of the you know Jane the Virgin? When are we going to lose that? How many you know more iterations can how long can she wait? How many like wacky situations can we put in to like? delay that yeah. and then um suddenly we realized no of course it's got to be michael and that's going to free her up in a lot of ways for the back half um of the series anyway and um you know once once we saw the chemistry that gina and brett had we wanted to push it off as long as possible so the change was made early on but originally i hadn't thought that that was going to happen but like you know it's so interesting because to lose somebody that was so loved and is still so loved and i still get mad tweets like y'all are you know, bring Michael, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't like this, right? So like, why are you not doing me like that? But, um, uh, you know, but to, it's almost as though, you know, uh, Brett's beautiful talent and his heart, he helped us, he helped sacrifice because for the bigger journey of Jane, it really is beautiful to see somebody and go through this transformation as we do as human beings, where we go from being very, wide-eyed and at times naive and so in love with this romance and this idea that like nothing bad in life happens if you just play it by book if you just you know one plus one equals two and that's just not the way life works and it's not the way life looks and and that's not a bad thing either you know that we go through losses and pain and we grieve and we go through you know um failures because that is what life looks like and i think that a testament to jenny's ability to tell stories is to not only, you know, integrate social commentary without judgment and all these social issues that we need to talk about in our art, which makes it like so fun to watch because then you're like, oh shit, they're talking about real life. And like, <laughs> you know, and like that is something that Jenny has done. And I think all of us feel very strongly as activists that we want to use our art for social change, that she needed this girl to go through what we go through in real life in order to talk about real life and relate to real life that our character actually has to go through it. And Jane now is a little more cynical and not as perfect and, you know, realizes that her judge, being judgmental is not cool and maybe she is like that, you know, and that's like not cute. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but it's just, it, it, it allows us to tell a story separate from ourselves, a story that is full and that is, you know, reflective of life. And Brett, your sacrifice, because losing you was the hardest thing, your sacrifice, really allows us to reach more people and I think reach more people in a, in a way that makes art so beautiful for healing. Yeah, yeah. I felt that too. I, I, I Like when you told me as hard as it was to hear, I knew that it was going to be for the best because it's just like such another side to the show that it hasn't been seen and it's just, there's a lot to explore there. I, I love that on the show, like every character is maturing and growing, even, even all of us. Yeah. And oh, so much. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see that people are, you know, changing at every point in their life and everyone is very self-reflective, which makes the character development so rich. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, how have you seen your characters as changing and does that change how you perform them? Well, mine was alive and now he's dead. <laughs> That's, that's the best. That's really the best. So how are you playing the dead character? <laughs> um, I think I think 
think for Petra, um, you know, three-year jump was simply magical because how often do you really get to to completely refresh a show and find yeah. your characters in completely new places three years later? I mean, you get to pretty much reinvent your character and have, you know, you know, with that jump, it's incredible. And so Petra, for example, I think, you know, the, the magical thing that she was dealing, she went from having postpartum depression to suddenly being super, a really annoying super mom. <laughs> to, you know, being like magical with her children and everything. And, and for me, that was, you know, fantastic to be able and to have that. That kind of redemption for like a villainous character is lovely ah. because we are not all one-sided. Right? No, I find that to be so awesome about your character and the way you play it too, because, you know, at first it was like, almost working with you was like, damn, this girl's real good at being like harsh. Right? <laughs> you like me in real life, right? <laughs> right? We get along? Um, but, but to, I'm still working on it. Um, but yeah, to see you like now get to play a girl that understands her mistakes is not the way she wants to live is really dope. Thank you. Did you always expect to develop Petra so much because she's such a fan favorite now? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, well, we had a we had a talk early on, um, Yael and I before the pilot about um, what it would be to play a villain. And I said, but she's not the villain. To her, she is. She's the hero of her story, yes. and um, and she is always going to have a reason for doing what she's doing. As you know, she she's part of the reason we gave her. We put her mother on was so that you would be like, oh, that must be so nurturing. Um, and uh, and you know, I think of Petra as a survivor. Like she's had really hard circumstances. I don't think she does evil things to be evil. She does them to survive and because that's what she's had to do. And like, I, I like playing with that. And I told Yael early on, like, don't worry, she's not going to be a one note done. Though, and then even in the second episode, you know, um, if you look back in the first season, she, she you, you realize that uh, part of, of all of her craziness and trying to steal the sperm and all, you know, things that one does when they're upset is that, um, I did it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, was because you know she she felt that the the love of her life was moving away from her and that um, he he didn't love her and and uh, she got desperate and she felt desperate and it's a crazy thing she did but still there was a reason behind it. I think as long as you have the reason behind it and know that and you know in the writers room uh, we always take the script and then take a pass from every character's point of view so that no character is just a cog in the somebody else's story. They all have a point of view and they all have their own motivations. And, um, you know, that's how we try to keep everyone uh, three-dimensional. And mom, yeah. I mean, mom. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, for me as a Latina and as an actress, um, it's been so refreshing. <laughs> it's been so refreshing for me, even the little girl inside of me, uh, to, to play Xiomara because Xiomara could easily have been the stereotypical sexy vixen Latina one note, and but every you are. <laughs> you know, what can I say? <laughs> but but for the little girl inside of me, and for all of the little girls out there who are Latina, it means so much to them and to me that Xiomara is dimensional, that she has flaws, and that. She has positive traits, and they're all mixed into one, and that she's evolving. And that is so important to the psyche of Latino children out there, and even just <laughs> Latino. Don't realize that all these messages, subliminal messages that we're getting through the media, 
Um, they can feel a certain way about themselves. Yeah, and 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 so I was almost expecting that Xiomara would be that one note, and I was fearful that that would be what it would be. And I I learned early on that no, that's not what Jenny was going to do. What she did, she did not have that in mind, and um, I completely trusted her after the second episode of season one. <laughs> and I was just so so. I just feel so honored and so blessed to to. To be doing this part, and the other thing that I learned through playing Xiomara is that um, acting is not just for me. Mm-hmm. I used to think it was a selfish kind of profession, and I realized that it's actually a service. That through my art form, through my expression, that I get to serve other people and inspire them in, in ways, and send messages in ways, and teach morality in, in, in different ways, and. It means so much to me to play. Yes. <laughs> and um, Rogelio is such a <laughs> evolving character. <laughs> I think they're gonna. Well, You've gotten more handsome. <laughs> evolves into handsomeness, meaning it becomes more. Fine with me, yeah. Like a fine wine. <laughs> Just uh, No, well, you all know where Rogelio lives, but uh, but I do think that it, it is. Uh, I love the way they write him because he does. Evolve. I mean, you know, he loves his family and and he has very beautiful heartfelt moments, like when you first call him dad, or or when he realizes things that he loves Xiomara, that he loves his family. So even though, uh, you know, it, he makes you laugh and everything, he has also very heartfelt moments. Or for example, when he mourned uh, Michael in the last episode. And I love that about Rogelio, that he is indeed multi-dimensional, even though it's pretty evident where he lives and, and his universe, he does uh, have, he, he has this like, breakthroughs yeah. of, of uh, heart and emotion, and I love that about, about him as well. I find it similar to the Petro <laughs> character too, like your your character, because you see all your, like the intent to help, even though it's like, a you know, like I'm gonna tweet Gloria Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just call Oprah, um, you know, like his second best friend in the whole world. Um, there is Bruno Mars. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, of course. <laughs> so, but what I do find is that, like, but I do find that, like, you know, he does. You see his like genuine nature and his like yeah. beautiful heart in these ridiculous attempts to show that his family does come first and his child, you know, his child comes first, and like, and you get to see them. He's like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk about Zoe and Ro a little bit. Zoe and Ro. Zoe and Ro. Finally, in the second half of the season, are getting married in the finale. And I'm. Not officiating it. And I learned how to pronounce the word officiant. I had to go do ADR because I kept pronouncing it efficient. And I had to go twice to do ADR. And I was like, no! You can't pronounce it. And then we 
and looked on her Instagram and it was Workout Wednesday. And we're like, she's in LA. We can get her. <laughs> <laughs> she's so, in the Anyway, so it's yeah. officious. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> Not officious. Boom. And I'll do confessionals after this. Um, <laughs> Thanks to what church? <laughs> yeah, thanks to the church. I don't remember the name. Circle of Life. Oh, Circle yeah. of Life. Unitarian Church. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's where I got ordained. So it's officiant. last year and said, you know they have to end up together. Of course they do. I was like, oh, okay. And then I had to like keep that to myself. So yeah, I'm glad that it is that way. It means a lot. It's, it's like parent trap, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant movie, by the way. Great. Second favorite movie. Third. We have a clip from the finale. Sorry, I feel terrible. <laughs> Are you okay, Mom? Of course my dress is ruined. Look around. We're getting married in the middle of a hurricane. Oh, who cares? I just want to marry your father. Okay. Well, then we'll make do. Haven't got the hook up at the gift shop. Oh, and you know what? I won't even wear my dress so that I don't distract from the bride. Oh, it's fine. You're the efficient, so you should stay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I 
only way it'll be when it ends. It'll be correct. Yeah. I love that the show always brings it back to the Villanueva woman and kind of how their relationships affect their dynamic. And I, I just wanted you guys to talk about filming that scene because it's so touching and like kind of captures just the relationship they have, but it also feels like like it would have been hard to not laugh during that scene when she's yelling so loudly, but I'm just curious how that played out. Pretty, I mean, we just connected from day one, yeah. and we never had a chemistry reading. I mean, you and I had a chemistry <laughs> But uh, the real in the red, it was always going to be her. Oh, yeah. It's always. <laughs> it was always you, Ma. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I mean, and. You know, just the fact that we're, we're, we're Puerto Rican, of Puerto Rican descent, the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> That we have that we have an understanding it's just an unspoken understanding that uh, clicks and so a lot of our scenes are effortless so it's, we don't really have to work for them yeah I, they, we fall right into our places it's like you yell action and she is my mom and Yvonne is my grandma and like there's total respect and I know how to treat them and they treat you know and like when we're talking about the evolution of things though like in the beginning our dynamic was I'm really the mom and she's mm -hmm. the kid and you know I, I don't you know because I have my shit together and I you know I know what's up and mom's gonna like probably do something that's gonna make us fall and that that interesting when you feel like you're the parent in your your dynamic with your family and then the evolution of like now I go to mom and I know mom did so much to to protect me and to help me and she's she has the wisdom and there was a shift mm -hmm. um, in also like I think that effortless shift of like yeah, mom knows what's up, and I'm foolish to have ever believed I could have been parenting her. I was always just so afraid as like a character, as Jane. One of the reasons why I think it works so well, um, the three women, is because it, it, it's truly reflective of the Latino community. Because it is the women who are the core of the family. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's the women that run the ship. They earn the money. They put the clothes on your back. They Damn. put the food in your hands. It's true. I mean, for the majority, not to put down Latino men. No. No, no, no. We do. But in my experience, you know, like it was my grandmother and my mother and the sisters, and it was them that was like a solid rock. And there were fights, and there was love, and there was laughter, and sadness, and all kinds of stuff like that. And always respect, though. Always respect. Always respect. Um, like, but you always knew that the shit hit the fan that you had each other's back. Yeah. Um, and so for me, those three women are so important to the Latino community as well, and, and that, the way it's being portrayed in our show. And it's really important to my family, you know, because they're getting to see themselves. Yeah. You know, matriarch. Really, I mean, awesome. and a matri matriarch society. I mean, mm -hmm. let's not deny women. Women be doing it. You know, <laughs> in all in all the in all cultures and all, all religions. Cultures, like, right. women women hold down hold down how, how so cool, much. How cool it is at our show, and because I have a daughter and I love my wife and I'm a biggest feminist. But I love the the fact that the show is led by three generations of women. Those are are our leads of the show. I think that's really. I also like the, the show is very <laughs> subtle in its, in its progressive messaging, where you even have you know the show within a show, Tiago or whatever the telenovela is, is run by women. So you kind of have this 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 world that feels kind of almost idyllic in a way, or like this image of like oh, where we're headed, where where we're headed exactly, and yeah, like there's there's all this talk right now about like TV 
TV being so relevant in the Trump era. But your show has been doing this kind of stuff for since the beginning, you know, from taking on illegal immigration to abortion. And, you know, has, has I, I know it's important to you to have this in your show, but has the, it, does the time that we live in now changed how you approach the show at all? Because I do remember you had mentioned one thing about Jane and Michael's first kiss and how you change that scene kind of subtly where at first Michael goes in for the kiss, but she says, no, I don't want to kiss you. Yeah. And he kind of goes in for it. And it was right when Trump was like making the grabbing things. things. <laughs> and, uh, and my parents um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I just was like, ah, uh, I don't want to like have that be the paradigm that the girl says no, and he just kisses her anyway, and how romantic. I thought, oh, that's a small thing, but I need Jane to move in first. And I told Jane, I just need you to move in first so that she's the one that's initiating it. And I feel like all those small moments add up to so much. And you know, even at the beginning, yeah, we would always have uh, the directors on, uh, on, on, you know, in in the show within the show, be women and. I can't remember at one point somebody was pitching something and they were like, I think, could a doctor, could a doctor be a man on the show? And I'm like, I, I guess, I want a giant plot twist. Um, you know, I, I think we're just bombarded by the same images, so we're just trying to be mindful of each and every one and, and not to take any for granted that all these small things that you see add up to what you think about yourself in the world. So we want to make sure that all of our decisions are deliberate. Yeah, because romance, like, I, it's so interesting that you said that because I, I had felt that while we were doing it, but we had, I had never really yeah. known that that was your intent. But it is really cool to make the woman the the aggressor or the one that like is making the decision, the decision maker. Yeah, you know, because we seldom do see that, and how subliminal that can be. Yeah, that you say yeah. no, but all you really want is to be kissed. Oh, yeah. Yes, no means yes. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's just being deliberate and, and yeah. mindful of all those small, uh, small moments and how they add up to what we see and what we think of ourselves. And Jaime, you had mentioned earlier how everyone on the show cries a lot. <laughs> and I think I actually really love this about the show because it takes emotion seriously. And yeah. you know, Gina, especially your character, you have to conjure up a lot of tears, and it, it always makes me cry when you cry. Oh. And I, I'm just like, how does that? How do you do it? Kind of like what? How do you have to do multiple takes? Like, do you have to be able to no, cry all the time? She's amazing. There's always one day. Yeah. She is an acting machine. It, program yeah. not to fail. Yeah, it's crazy. That's what she, she's amazing. It's, I mean, it's super not, emotionally available. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the superhero actress, my story, don't mess it up. Okay, because okay, I'm, okay. I'm going to go back. No, she is an amazing, uh, we all know because you've seen her, but she's an, an amazing artist. But. Um, but the way that, that, that she can manipulate emotions in, in very long days, like so, sometimes we work like 15, 16 hour days, and in, during that day she needs to be happy, laugh with me, with Shomara, and then cry because Michael died, and then it, it's just like everything is in one single uh, day of shooting. So, I mean, the talent that this woman has. It's not to mention all the outside pressures of all the other things that she's doing. So you're, she's carrying, she carries a lot, she's doing a lot. I'm sure you guys follow her and know, know all the amazing things she's doing, but she still is able to deliver under a lot of pressure. And this is pouring you up lot. <laughs>
a lead to keep to be working 16 hours a day and every day for three years and to be keeping such an incredibly happy good vibe uh, leading yes. every single day a team of how many people is our cast and crew i mean you know and keeping that mood up and happy and smiling every day just so happy to come to work and making everyone feel appreciated and loved yeah. it's yeah. just yeah. unheard of and unreal and she doesn't <laughs> Please answer your question. <laughs> That's how I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I just want to talk <laughs> just about you know the the relationships that have been developed in this latter half of the season have been developed so well between you know Jane and Petra, like as you talked about between Jane and Raphael, and between Petra and Raphael. So now that we have Petra and Raphael kind of creating this new love triangle, now that it's introduced that Jane is having feelings for Raphael again. It's a lot more complicated than the first time Petra and Raphael were together because they didn't seem good together at the time. And now like we're a lot more invested in Petra as a character. And I'm, I, well, first of all, like, would you ever consider a thruple? <laughs> so hard. <laughs> Relationships, it feels a lot about timing. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what that is relationships though. Yeah, totally. And it it's not what you usually get with these types of love triangles on TV. And I'm wondering what the show's philosophy on relationships is. Do you think one of these couples is better well, suited for each other than another? Or the idea of meant to be is a is something that we, you know, look at and deconstruct and reconstruct all the time. And and um, you know, if you is there one person for you, or could you be with any number of people, depending on timing and luck and circumstance? You know, that is something we look at. I wanted Jane to move from where she was, which was in the center of the love triangle, and she had Michael and Raphael. What does it mean when it shifts this way? You know, and suddenly, you know, Raphael's at the center of one, and are, is that going to happen? And, and also, they are all in a relationship. They have kids together, and their kids are a family. And I like, always love the idea of this Frankenstein family that, through these unusual circumstances, they are tied together for life. So that changes a love triangle. You know, a thing that you might do if you might not see the other person again is totally different when they co-parents in a lot of respects. And I feel like just the the fact that they're all parents together and that they all are a family makes it much more complicated, much more rich, and much more interesting to write and. To think about it becomes not just that sort of romantic i'm in a love triangle it's what does this do to our family or what does this do to our family and um how do we move together as a unit i think they're already at the rebel you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. the stakes are much higher now yeah. that kids involved yeah. i remember when the when petra was pregnant suddenly raquel and i justin and i were having a scene and suddenly we're like whoa they're gonna be family now <laughs> <laughs> Means they're in life like with time and, and and that's forever you know that's really that's a real thing marriage can come and go but kids are forever yeah and so the stakes are just really high yeah i think i think this is what's so wonderful about your writing about this show is that the stakes keep getting higher and though we burn through stories so so fast and so much it just keeps getting more interesting and and even if it's the same characters they keep changing so much that it just you know 
even the fact with the three-year jump, you know, that Jane and, and Petra had the, what was it, Sunday brunch? <laughs> You know, and they were secret friends, and they need each other in each other's lives, but they won't admit it to each other. So yeah. Are you, you won't admit it? I'm admitting. I'm into it. Well, here it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I think that's what keeps it interesting. This woman is just so brilliant. Yes. I just like. Yes. It. I'm hearing all of my friends and family members talk about this and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I fucking love my show. <laughs> I love my show and every single storyline and every single turn of I just, I just love working. <laughs> I think that's why, I think that's also why, you know, in working 16 hours a day, five days a week, eight months a year is a lot of work, you know, and it is like nothing to scoff at. It really, really is. And to be with people in that small space for that long time, there, you know, you go through like real normal, you know, interactions, but there's so much appreciation for being able to do what you love because if you want to talk about starting from the top, it's starting from this time. This woman is so humble and so kind and really keeps our family together, uses our relate, you know, uses the people that we love that are actors and brings in people and keeps brings in people that like want an opportunity, want a new opportunity, changes the way we view the doctors, the lawyers on the show, see, you know, uh, body types, you know, she's her, her awareness for what's happening in the real world, her awareness for what happens to a human being is so on point and so unapologetic that she can be honest that we can engage in a way that allows us to appreciate and love our fucking show, you know, it's like, and it's all because of you, dude. Show are so dedicated, and I, I'm, I like when it was Team Michael versus Team Raphael. <gasps> were you? Any <laughs> boys were? Oh my god! Didn't have to worry anymore. Yeah. Just <laughs> 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 all of them. Just gonna keep doing it. <laughs> were you Were you surprised by fans' reactions? Because I, I felt like a lot of fans and even the cast had indicated they were Team Michael. <laughs> yeah, we were all Team Michael, right? Yeah. 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 But it's also because we're all in like our 30s, right? So when you're in your 20s, Very you're Team Michael. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not in your 30s. Because I don't have apps. You're like 18. No, 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 untrue, 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 untrue. It's more so like I think like when I was in my 20s, I'd be like Team Raphael, and not because of his looks, but because of that like that Playboy like right? you know, yeah, the confidence. Th yeah, like, whatever this is, right? And then when you're in your 30s, you're like, you want a dude that's like nice, that has foundation, that got your back, that's gonna be there. It's like you learn, you know. That's why I'm not with the guy that dated when I was in my 20s. You know what I'm saying? So like that's the reason why we're all Team Michael because we understand like that character, not just Brett and obviously the way he plays it, but that character is like who you want to live with forever, right? And when you're younger, you're like, that's who I want to mess with. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the team Raphael. But it, it shifts also as those characters evolve yeah. also. You know, like when yeah. Brett's character, when Michael was becoming like a little like nasty and like a little, yeah. you know, with the lies and the this and the hidden and the like, I was like, no. And then my, my, my natural sense of the human being was like, I'm more Team Raphael, who's trying and working towards me. Yeah, so it yeah. is like the evolution of the characters really makes you flip-flop. And that's a testament to the writing, again. 
I had a, Mark, a small question. Oh, were yeah. you going to? No. Okay. <laughs> no. When, she is Jane, actually. <laughs> when you when you see when on the show when someone is kind of having feelings for someone, their heart glows. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, as actors, do you know that your heart is going to be glowing? And that's <laughs> like, do they does it know from the script? Yeah, yeah, heart yeah, glowing. Yeah. Camera will be It's called heart glowing. Yeah. <laughs> heart glowing 
clearly she wants to masturbate and she wants to like, you know, she wants to discover her body and what, you know, and it's really cool juxtaposition because we never see it that way. It's like if you're holding yourself for marriage, you're like, oh my God, I can never talk about it. No, this doesn't feel comfortable. But instead going through those uncomfortabilities out loud, being like, mom, I want to have a fling. Like, I actually just want to learn what it is to have sex with a man and not be in a relationship, right. which, you know, in our day and age, that is much more common than the, than the latter. So it was really cool to play with that, to to say, like, of course she wants to do it. You know, right. she's a freaking animal. She's a human being. She got urges. <laughs> and been three years. She got urges. And, and it's nice to see that played out on screen for women to be comfortable in being sexual and being safe and <laughs> sexual, yeah. you know? And so that's what she wanted to do with like Fabian. And that storyline was really cool because it had been three years. Like that's another cobweb amount of time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it was a nice good amount of time to keep her on lock. Now she wants to like, keep her on lock. Keep her on lock. <laughs> so now she wants to like go into that. And those kind of conversations are necessary because it isn't spoken about and women are discussed in a way where like they're the sexual the, the sexual object versus being like one that wants to seek out someone to be sexual you know and it, it's it was a very cool conversation and piece to play for sure i thought it, it was, was interesting real. to see the thought process that jane had yeah about the whole thing too it wasn't just um oh i want him i, want I just him. you know going on an urge it was there was a lot of thought behind it and i and i think that's good uh to be an example for young girls who are watching the show. Yeah, they talk about it. Thought, like, behind. God, I can't just date. I don't know how to just be like, I don't know how to be anything but what I've always been. And I really want to see what else there is out there. And I want to discover new parts of myself. And that's what was great about the time jump too. For Jane, uh, for all the characters, but for myself, I got to play what it is to really evolve into being a woman and discovering herself. And Jenny's so good about talking about real life and what you're really going to. Like when I lost my virginity, it wasn't all like, Ooh, ow. It was like, this is awful. This is uncomfortable. Please don't touch me like that. This is not right. You know, like, because that's really what losing your virginity looks like. It's not like, they really like think they have to do And I was a, I was one of three girls, and they never talked to me about sex. Like my sisters never talked to me about sex. My parents never talked to me about sex. So I think that like art is really cool to use to be like, let's talk about this that isn't talked about. Yeah, and I think you know the reception to Jane the Virgin has been like it's been such a critically acclaimed show. But on the flip side, you also get some people talking about it as if it's a guilty pleasure, which I I feels kind of like. It has to do with what genres we take seriously as a culture. Have you encountered that at all? Or what are kind of what has been your experience of how people receive the show? You know, sometimes you have people saying it's a guilty pleasure, and that, you know, clearly feels like a very gendered response. You know, what are we taking seriously? We're taking seriously tortured men who only speak in like soft tones and <laughs> and, and I understand there's a lot of great stuff there, but I feel like that's the, you know, um, that's why Jane's a romance writer. She is, you know, she respects that genre. That genre is often belittled. Um, romantic comedies that it all, you know, it starts to seem female, and then it becomes sort of something that you dabble in, and not something that you take seriously. Um, and so I feel like that is a little bit 
part of what the show gets goes up against, and then part of what we try to criticize from within the show by making Jane a romance writer and by, um, you know, I'd like to do some magical realism of like a dark and stormy mm. anti-hero. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> and how serious everyone is. That would be, yeah, yeah. Do it. Just one yeah. very serious yeah. episode. Oh, really? <laughs> all just everything. <laughs> See, no, what I find is like when people say to me like, uh, and it, it is, it is a very specific demographic that'll say it's a guilty pleasure because they don't feel comfortable saying that they like it. Yes, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like I just recently, um, I just recently met someone who was like, oh my God, my daughter is a really big fan of yours and she watches the show and I was like, oh, that's super dope, give her my love, like that's so cool. And he was like, yeah, you know, and I watch it with her, it's like my guilty pleasure. And I was like, that's, that's cool too. What's interesting is that they're not mutually exclusive. It's still good and it can still be a guilty pleasure. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I was like, nah, I have a feeling you like it a little more than your daughter does. <laughs> and he was like, well, I can't say this. Rogelio is just like I am. <laughs> You know, and I think it actually is just a testament to that person and how they feel about themselves about feeling the way they right. do about the show. Uh -huh. So, like, I find Rihanna to be my guilty pleasure, right? Um, because I love listening to her and dancing to her when I'm by myself, but she's bomb and she's talented and she's a fun performer. So I think that they can, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right. Just a pleasure. Just a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be guilty, yeah. 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 The Bachelor is mine. <laughs> this story is going to play out. And you said that it plays out in three parts. We have part one ending when Mateo was kidnapped, part two, the end of part two was Michael's death, and we don't know what the end of part three will be. Mm. But do you have a sense of about how long it will take to get there? Like, I do. <laughs> <laughs> there is an end to the story, guys. Yeah, I mean, I have to talk to the people involved. But right. I, I know when this, this story ends and how it ends and um, you know what Jane's version of a happy ending looks like. I mean we won't have a judge. <laughs> <laughs> I said that means we won't have a judge. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> Worth it, worth it. 
So this is uh, every. Uh, this is what happens on set every single day. <laughs> Seriously, we well, didn't yell that. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, 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 how is everyone, by the way? Is everyone? <laughs> and you have. You by the way, what's that clock counting down? So that's when we're done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> going to explode. She will be right by But it seems like There's some uh, interesting moves uh, for Petra and Ineshka is going to count in different ways. Um, I don't know. I, I want to be really vague. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That was the most vague. <laughs> she's going to do something. There's going to be some other things. And, uh, gonna and she's going to have But you, once you see the finale, you'll see things that are set up. And season four might come a little more into focus. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much. Yay. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.